So our second lesson is also from the Gospels, this one from the Gospel of Luke. We're in the 24th chapter, reading verses 28 through 35, so I invite you to listen for God's word to each of us and to the church this day. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Every table has a story. Every table has a story. For as long as I could remember, there were three constants on family beach trips. Hawaiian Tropic Dark Tanning Oil, Bartles and James Pina Colada wine coolers and a clear plastic bag containing a floral needlepoint. Covered in one, consuming another, my mother worked on the floral needlepoint for upwards of a decade. Every time we visited the beach, she'd pull it out and work on it for a little while. As it turns out, she wasn't undertaking the task alone. Her mother and her sister were both working on similar needlepoint projects. Ten years of painstaking work produced six beautifully crafted seat cushion covers perfectly fitted to adorn the chairs of my great-grandmother Taylor's dining room set. In the Powers home, we never got to appreciate the spoils of my mother's labor. As the eldest daughter, Aunt Sally was a keeper of great-grandmother Taylor's dining set. That is, until the afternoon of Friday, March 27, 1992, When my dad and I hopped into his company's 1984 Chevy cargo van and began our trek north on I-85 towards my Aunt Sally's home in Wilmington, Delaware. Generally, the road trip was rather uneventful, mostly happening in the dark of night. We stayed over at a motel somewhere just south of Richmond, Virginia. We picked up the table and six chairs sometime just after noon on Saturday and turned around to head south. I remember that it was cold and that the heater on the van wasn't working all that well, so we had, to, we had to wear our best hunting gear to keep us warm. Somewhere just north of Richmond, we crossed a bridge with a, over a large gorge. The signs read as we, we journeyed onto the bridge, warning high winds. And I remember the terror in my father's face and the white in his knuckles as he turned the wheel into the wind so that that van, as it slowly crept towards the side of the bridge, would stay on track. My screaming probably didn't help matters. As night fell, we tuned the radio to the broadcast of the Duke-Kentucky Elite Eight basketball matchup, the NCAA tournament. We pulled into the parking lot of the Durham Baron Inn in Durham, North Carolina, 
as the announcer described the pristine, in pristine detail, Christian Leitner catching the full court pass from Grant Hill, taking one dribble, turning around, and crushing the dreams of the Wildcat faithful with a jumper from the free throw line, cementing his legacy and propelling the Blue Devils to their second straight national championship. That table that made a journey from Wilmington, Delaware, down to, at that time, Greenville, South Carolina, that table sits in my apartment on the 10th floor of Crosstown Concourse now. I can't sit on one of its beautifully stitched seats or share a meal on its now well-worn top without being transported by the smell of tanning oil and needlepoint and a 1984 Chevy van and Christian Leitner. Every table has a story. After Jesus was crucified, the gospel writer tells us that a couple disciples were walking home to Emmaus when they happened upon a fellow traveler. He asked them what they were talking about, and they shared a bit about the hopes that they had had for this young rabbi named Jesus that they had followed. They told about how he'd been killed by the imperial authorities, but how the women of their group had confounded everyone by saying that his body was no longer in the tomb where they knew he had been laid just a few days earlier. Then in a wild turn, the stranger began quoting the words of their ancient text back to them, calling them foolish and slow to believe. He explained that the prophets had laid out this story long ago. So as evening began to fall, it appeared that the stranger intended to part ways with the disciples, but instead they invited him in, into their home, to share a meal and to rest for the night. While at table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it before them. And in an instant, they recognized the Christ with them. And as soon as they recognized him, he was gone. When the shock of the moment wore off, they got up from the table and made their way back down the road that they had just walked down to be with their friends. As they arrived, their friends were telling them about how they had heard that the Christ had been raised, and so they shared what had happened to them at the table. Every table has a story. Mary Frances Early was the first woman of color to earn a degree from the University of Georgia. She arrived in Athens after com completing her undergraduate work at Clark Atlanta University and beginning her post postgraduate work at the University of Michigan before transferring to the flagship public university of her home state, but all the academic accolades in the world could not protect her from the white supremacy that she encountered there. Racism seen and unseen made Dr. Early's time at UGA difficult. Nevertheless, she persisted, earning a Master of Music Education degree in 1962. I did not know Mary Frances Early's story until the time that I served as a chairperson of the property committee of the Presbyterian Student Center at the University of Georgia. As I understood it, one of my duties in that role was to ensure that the property provided a fresh, safe, and inviting space for college students to gather. To me, the tables and chairs in the main room screamed 1950s, so they had to go until my dear friend who served as a campus minister insisted we have to keep at least one of them. One of what? One of the tables. Why, I asked. 
And he opened his laptop and he pulled up a video of Mary Frances Early. She was describing the difficulty of her time at the university and how she had endured near constant intimidation and bullying at the hands of her classmates and in the community, so much so that she spent most of her free time stowed away in her dorm room. Until it was the night of her birthday and her roommate wouldn't let her stay in the room any longer. You're coming with me, she said. And they took off across campus until they happened upon this red brick building, 50s era. Her roommate insisted that they go inside. And when they did, there perched on a table in the middle of the Presbyterian Student Center was a birthday cake with her name on it. Decorations adorned the walls and students sang her happy birthday. They sat at those now outdated tables and ate cake together, celebrating the anniversary of her birth. Later, Mary Frances Early would say that the Presbyterian Student Center was one of the only places on campus where she felt welcome and safe. Lest we get too proud about being Presbyterian, it should be said that the campus minister who encouraged this celebration and indeed integrated that campus ministry was soon forced out of the position by the Presbytery. See, we have to keep one, he said. Every table has a story. Last week, I couldn't help thinking about the story of Mary, Mary Frances Early. Couldn't help thinking about it as the images from our southern border made their way across our screens. Haitian refugees by the tens of thousands pressed against metal barriers separated from a, separated, separating them from freedom desperate for a reprieve from hot sun and a safe place for their children to lay their weary heads. One image stopped me in my tracks. Perhaps you saw it. A border patrol officer mounted on horseback, lasso in hand, ready to wrangle a man with dark skin. I sat in the horror of the image for a few minutes, trying to comprehend its gravity. My eyes darted back and forth from the officer on horseback to the terrified barefoot man. I wondered if any of my Haitian friends from the Laganov Haiti Mission Partnership, a, a relational outreach ministry that we became a part of at my former church, I wondered if any of them were at the border that day. I wonder if they had met a similar welcome. Then my consciousness was drawn to what the man with dark skin was carrying, a clear plastic bag containing something unmistakable, styrofoam containers of food. You know the ones. And then, he start, and then I started to stare at the image, and, and I started to think about those containers of food. I started to imagine who had prepared that food. What kind of food was it? What was the spirit with which it had been packed into those containers? And then the most pressing question of the moment, from what table was it served to him? I do not know much, but as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, I am certain of this, what happened and is happening to men and women and children, beloved children of God, seeking refuge at our southern border is a betrayal of the meaning of the table from which all are served, and it is a betrayal of the one who invites us to table. Then we return here to this sanctuary, to this sacred, quiet space and to this forever peace, a table centered amongst us. And we're invited to imagine, 
How many people have been fed from this table? We're invited to imagine the great cloud of witnesses who have eaten of the bread of life and sipped of the cup of salvation from this table. And we are reminded again of why it is we center this table. We center this table because every time we look at it, we are to remember how Jesus ministered around table. We are to remember who he sat with at table, sharing bread and cup. We are to remember that even the power of the empire couldn't stop him from meeting those grieving disciples on the road and then sitting with them at table where he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, and in an instant their eyes were opened and they recognized the Christ amongst them. It turns out every table has a story. So may this table's story be one of our eyes being opened to recognize the Christ amongst us, both now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen.